Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are so thrilled to have you in our Get Information series. Thank you, Beyonce, for being who you are and adding that phrase to the world. (laughs) We are so glad to be talking about spiritual formation. And guys, we are so thrilled because we have one of the most remarkable humans as our guest today. And it is a true honor for both Tiffany and I to have Cheryl Bridges-Johns on our podcast. And maybe she's new to some of you who are listening, but she is a mother in the faith and a phenomenal human being, and you guys are going to 100% love her. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her before we just jump right in, because we have some great questions we want to ask her, and you better get ready to learn. Like if you're driving, you better like get ready to pull over and take some notes, because this is Mm going to be so good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Cheryl is a prophetic voice, and she advocates for the renewal of the church. She cares about creation, women's full empowerment, and the re-enchantment of the Bible. Did you guys hear Mm -hmm. that? re-enchantment of the Bible. And her academic career has spanned 33 years. She's distinguished herself as a writer, a lecturer, and a leader in the academy. And um, she's a Henry Luce Fellow in Theology and the past president of the Society for Pentecostal Studies. Okay, so we just might go off on the Pentecostal Studies this morning. (laughs) Um, Cheryl loves preaching and teaching the Bible, and her areas of academic interest certainly line up with ours and certainly line up with you as listeners, women's studies, feminist theology, Pentecostal theology, creation theology and the practices of ministry. So most often you're going to find Cheryl on Twitter, but she did recently decide to act her age. These are her words and it cracks me up and rejoin (laughs) Facebook. She also says she's too vain for the vanity of Instagram. And I just feel all of this in my bones. (laughs) I feel it all in my bones. (laughs) Cheryl is a wise elder with a burden for those who are deconstructing toxic aspects of their faith. And Mm. for those of you who have not listened to that episode, Tiffany and I did one a couple weeks back on, on deconstruction and reconstruction. So you guys can go back and listen to that one as well, because we share that. And she also seeks to offer a way to be claimed again beyond the wilderness of criticism. She's written many books, but Cheryl's latest book is Seven, Transforming Gifts of Menopause, An Unexpected Spiritual Journey. And this book goes far beyond hot flashes and gets to the very heart of the midlife journey, helping women find their unique voice and speak their truth in an era of Me Too and Church Too. So this amazing, amazing, wise, spiritual guide, pastor, and theologian, Cheryl, welcome to our podcast. I mean, we just like blasted your beautiful biography, but if there's anything else you want to tell us about you before we jump right in, we love to hear it. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Ashley. I um, am very happy to be with you. And I um, just finished listening to the last, I think one of your last episodes on the podcast on justice and such an important topic. And uh, formation into justice is really a a difficult thing. So I'm glad you Mm -hmm. went. I'm glad you guys went there. Thank you. (laughs) I just have to say, um, Cheryl, you need to spill a little more on this on this willingness to join the Facebook, because I tell you that Facebook is crazy. I want to and get off the Facebook. You are one of my. You are you are just such a delight to follow on Twitter. The way yes. just 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 enough sass 
but so much wisdom, so much wit, and it mm-hmm. is just such a gift to the Twitter feed, to the church, to who have ears to hear. Yeah. So tell me about your love-hate relationship with Facebook. Just humor me. <laughs> just not sure how much I should say, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I went off of Facebook in 2016, you know, the election and the, the toxic environment that happened after yeah. that, and got a, a lot of of trolls as a result of that and, and some some guys who felt it was important that they um, uh, keep me in place etc so I went out of, of that world and, and just recently rejoined and so Twitter has been a good place for me in some ways um, you know I, I do have those the trolls there these guys who uh, you know, who feel like that uh, maybe I'm too outspoken, too vocal, too, too whatever, fill, fill in the blank. And uh, that has given me some grief over the last couple of years. But my grief is not in any measure related to what I have seen women like Beth Moore and others having mm. to having to endure. So I, I don't have anything to complain about in that. I just want to say mm. thank you for paving the way. Thank you mm-hmm. for going before. Um, I have only discovered you in the last couple of years, and I've just been so, so grateful for your wisdom and the way that you've gone forward. And so many of us stand on your shoulders, on Beth's shoulders, yeah. and we're just so grateful for it. So, I mean, Ashley and I can 100% hunt down those trolls for you and slash their we tires. We can. Because we petty like that. Oh, but we are. Just know. And Cheryl, we, I'm very good with the trolls. Tiffany knows this about very me. Good. I'm very good with the trolls. Sometimes I, I make Ashley handle my trolls. <laughs> I I'm, do. I will I'm send her. I said, can you go after these people for me? Because I don't have it in me. <laughs> I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm too diplomatic for this, but you're not. So go No, for not it. at all. <laughs> I, I joked uh, the other day. I was preaching at a, a university. I, I joked that I was selling indulgences to women who wanted to <laughs> smack down some trolls so I was just gonna like you get three each or something, and that might be my next my next big thing is to sell indulgences to smack I down the love trolls. It. Yeah. Whoa, hundred percent! I'm I'm on that team. You just let me know what I could do and how to join. Where do I sign up? <laughs> oh, so good. All right, Cheryl. Before you became Cheryl Bridges Johns, the the lecturer, the writer, the intellectual, the culture shifter and change maker. Um, tell us, take us a little bit, just, just briefly, take us back to the beginning. Where'd you grow up? Um, when did you fall in love with the Lord? H- how did that, wh- how did you get to where you are now? Yeah. You know, Saturday I travel, my husband and I are going over to South Carolina for my 50th high school reunion, which it just doesn't seem possible mm-hmm. uh, to have graduated from high school 50, 50 years ago. But I grew up in rural South Carolina outside of Greenville. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is now not a rural area, it's sort of the booming, booming part of, of the U.S. And I, um, the oldest of four children, and the uh, church that I grew up in was a real wonderful, safe place for me. Mm-hmm. It had been founded by my great-grandmother. She was expelled from the Methodist church for all of her shouting and all that stuff, and had gone to camp meetings and spoke in tongues. So uh, they just built a church where she could do all that free, so to speak. <laughs> and I grew up, you know, many decades later. We're talking about 1910, 1907 wow. back then. And 
I grew up in this church that had that matriarchal underpinnings and it was a good place. Uh, most of us were related to one another. My uncle was my pastor for, I guess, 12 years of my early life and um, a wonderful, uh, gracious man and mentored me a lot. You know, I, the, the saints there would say to the young ones sometimes, we see God's hand on you. Mm-hmm. And that was such an important thing to hear. And that usually meant, so what can you do? You know, can you be in the church orchestra or can you? Mm-hmm. And I remember Sunday night preaching my first sermon when I was 16. Oh, wow. the Psalms, yeah. Mm. And only later did I learn that that was a rare occasion for women in the 19, for young girls in the 1960s. That was not, mm. um, not normal, so to speak. Uh, so I, I sensed... Too, I too sensed God's hand on my life, but not sure what that meant. And even though my tradition had freedom for women, it was somewhat uh, limited to you could be a woman evangelist and go from church to church, or you could be a missionary, but few women actually pastored right. churches. And so I went to college, kind of just not sure what to do, and I went to denominational college and uh and then uh, years you know, later, met my husband at Lee College, which is now Lee University. And I remember telling him I was just going to be a single missionary. That's what I thought I was supposed mm-hmm. to do. And he looked at me and said, you don't have what it takes, and, which I was quite offended. But he was probably right. And so <laughs> we got married and went to Wheaton Grad School, which was a wonderful <laughs> experience. And, uh, and, you know, now that I have taught in seminary for 30-something years, uh, our, our seminary has been a, a real international school, and I didn't go, get to go out and do mission work so much, as, but the world came to me, you know, students from, yeah. the, students from the majority world, Mongolia, uh, and I would have, it, it has been a, a really fulfilling experience. Wow, that is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And also, I'm so moved. Um, by your lineage. I'm so mm-hmm. moved that I think of, you know, the beginning of the first women's movement is when your grandma, correct? Your grandma really got going and just leaned into her God-given gifts. What a what a beautiful lineage. Just truly, I just want to stop and and celebrate that and call her blessed. Mm. Yeah, she was a formidable person. I I you know, she was dead long before I was born. Um and uh her portrait hung in the vestibule of the church, kind of like an icon. And I remember as a child going under it to go into the sanctuary of the church. And this sense that you had to go through her to go into the church, whatever Mm. all that, all that symbolized. But looking back, you know, now as an adult, I see that there was a female image. Yeah, you know, that I saw entering the church, which was so rare. Right. 
That's really powerful. And I love thinking about um, one of your family members, like Tiffany, you know, getting kicked out of the Methodist church. So just kind of building, building her own. And I thought that was really beautiful. It seems very true to who you are, those roots. You know, mm-hmm. It's like, no, oh, I'm yeah. not going to stand for this. I'm going to build what women need and what women want. And I think that's mm-hmm. really powerful, the way you seek God that way and are unafraid to do it. I love that you have that in your lineage. I feel like the Southern women, there is something so special about them. You know, I'm my, the women in my family were not Christian. Christian, but they're, they definitely are like, it's a long lineage of like spitting, kicking, hitting, like truth telling women, you know, <laughs> I love it. I love it. it's, it's really beautiful to see the, the redemptive side of that. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, there is that image of Southern women and mm-hmm. it, there's the almost other counter image of sort of the fluff fro you know but right there are um a lot of family systems that had some very strong matriarchs yeah yeah because when i think of southern women what comes to mind is like what's that magazine that everybody reads southern southern living right oh, southern no living <laughs> interesting and um i think of monogrammed pillows wow. monogrammed hankies mm-hmm. Lemonade, mm-hmm. biscuits. I mean, that's the that's wow. my that's until I met you, Ashley, as somebody from the South who I really know well. Right. Learning about just these incredible, take no crap from anybody, right. women who just did the darn thing. Like I'm like, this is so beautiful, and mm-hmm. why aren't these in my history books, and why aren't these portrayed in media? I mean, truly, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it amazing. <laughs> Well, tell us, um, Cheryl, speaking of like, you know, how you're formed and, you know, what, how we think about faith, we want to know like what practices in the faith have really formed you and what, which of those practices do you feel like have really ushered you closer to God? Yeah, I was driving back this morning from Spring Hill near Nashville, visiting my daughter and grandchildren and listening to Fire in My Bones, the uh, biography of Eugene Peterson. Mm. and resonated so much with some of the aspects of Peterson's early life in terms of practices. And one of those practices is the practices, the practice of aloneness or the practice Mm. of solitude. You know, he grew up in this absolutely stunning landscape near Glacier National Park in Montana and would go out regularly, uh, and spend long hours alone. And there was a certain spot there that his family had a cabin and it had been a Native American sacred site. And he called that place the place of the presence. Mm. Um, So for me, uh, since early childhood, nature has been, time in nature has been the the place of solitude uh, and the place of the most sense profound sense of divine presence and you know we live out in the country in a little farm and but i love to just get out in the national forest or go somewhere where it's uh, a bit untamed and Mm. find uh, a sense of the presence there and i think more people have discovered that during the pandemic that practice which is good that's that's really really good but it for me has been life-giving and uh, a sense of, uh, you know, nature can do two things simultaneously. It expands and it centers Mm. and it happens all at once. It's uh, what Richard Louvre calls um, 
you know, nature's uh, redolent or I'm, you know, I have ADD. It's kind of like the best of Adderall, but it, <laughs> it, it, it takes you outside of yourself, but it also centers and quiets you. And it's a, it's a wonderful practice to uh, engage in, and, and know there's the practice of mindfulness, but I, mm. I think in nature, I do what is more co- I call spiritfulness, um, is that mindfulness uses the front lobe of your brain so much. you got to focus on that. But there is just this more of the back part of your brain, maybe the more primitive part, uh, which is that sense of this opening to wonder and presence that you're not so focused on as much as you are experiencing it. And I find that to be a very needed practice in my life. Mm, that's, that's so beautiful. beautiful. I have never been a nature person until quarantine, actually. And I, I've always loved the beach. I've always loved lakes, but I've never been a person who liked to get out in nature and like stand in the grass and look at the sky. Like that's never been who I am. But something happened to me in quarantine where I so desperately needed to put my feet in the grass to feel grounded. And mm-hmm. I so desperately needed to sit outside and mm-hmm. feel the sun on my face or feel the wind on my back and feel connected to God. So I don't know what it was about about quarantine, maybe the isolation or the, you know, the lack of human touch, the lack of, you know, having people in my home, like maybe that's what kind of pushed me over the edge to need those things. But I I became much more um, in love with nature that way. I don't, maybe it's getting older that's done that to me. I'm not sure, but I'm so grateful that you shared that because I feel like it is a practice that many people don't you know, maybe urban city people, you know, I've lived in Manhattan and New York for the last 20 years. So I feel like that's part of it. Tiffany, you have a beautiful way of loving nature. Like I love even on your Instagram, you'll just post like a beautiful picture of the water or trees or just something that you're looking at. Like, does that practice resonate with you too? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I live in the Pacific Northwest. So it's Mm -hmm. as Ashley likes to say, it's like Christmas tree country because she comes (laughs) and she's like, there's Christmas trees everywhere. Those are called evergreen trees. They're just here all the time, actually. But we do decorate them at Christmas. So she's not totally wrong. And we do cut them down and put them in our house at Christmas. So again, Mm -hmm. she's not wrong. But uh, I I grew up out in the country and uh, uh, similar to both of you. And um, I'm such an extrovert that I just wanted to be around people mm. that I don't think I fully appreciated the beauty of how much space we had. And right. um, my my parents' house, the nearest neighbor was is pr- was pretty far away. Um, and uh, we we lived in front of a Christmas tree farm. And I, I want to say it was like 10 or 20 acres. I mean, it was huge. Uh, I mean, you could get lost in there for hours. And I, I just wish I could go back and tell young Tiffany, like, this is holy. <laughs> This is sacred. This is so beautiful. And now I can look back at the roughest seasons of my life and realize the moments when I felt the most hope is when I sat in nature, Mm. when I went out and allowed myself to just be. I remember a time, just quickly, I um, was dumped by the love of my life in England. And I was wondering like, oh my gosh, I just moved to this country to pursue the rest of my life with this man and and just felt so dejected and, and lost and um, I was staying at this barn converted into a house out in the middle of the countryside, and I would just go outside every morning with my Bible and a journal, you know, brokenhearted, and just listen to the little lambs, and I'd listen to the cows, and I'd listen to the horses, and just beautiful English countryside, and it was so healing. 
Mm-hmm. I felt like it was just so healing. And so in, in the formative moments when I needed the Lord, he, he showed up and just thrilling my senses in the outdoors. Mm. And so you're right. I think it's so beautiful. And also, um, Ashley has brought the outdoors into the indoors recently with her yes. love of plants. Yes. And she's going full throttle plant lady. So I, I am. Mean, we can bring I the outdoors am. indoors. Oh my gosh, it's so true. I got this beautiful fiddle fig and a little olive tree and it was tiny. My olive tree was like a foot tall and now it's like three and a half feet tall and it's not even supposed to grow. It's like a random one I got at Trader Joe's, but I've just like, I talk to my plants now and I water them and I wipe their leaves and just got a um, burgundy rubber plant to put in the house yesterday. Like I just, yeah, there's something about that. And I, I, I wish I had captured that earlier in my life, especially with the hurried pace of the world we live in. I feel like nature is a compelling reason to slow down. And I do wish that I had, you know, grasped that at a younger age. I think maybe I could have had some healthier practices (laughs) spiritually, mentally, emotionally, had I really grabbed a hold of that. So thank you for sharing that nature is one of them. Do you have any others, Cheryl, that you would say, like, this has really been formative in my life? Yeah, I, uh, you know, everyone has their uh, times in sacred places, and every morning there's the same place, the same chair, the same Bible mm. that's worn, the same, you know, that sense of uh, the sacred place, not only outside, but in our home, and communing with the Lord. Uh, and community itself is a practice that it's been mm. hard for this past year. Uh, we are formed and shaped and we're designed in the image of God for community and having to find ways of having community this year has been somewhat somewhat difficult but uh, community is one of those things that shapes you you know the iron rubbing iron and throughout my life so far and, and especially in ministry and my husband and I planted a church and pastored that church for 27 years but we intentionally tried to create community that was diverse and mm. not just ethnically diverse, but one of the more difficult diversities is, is the diversity of education and income. Mm. Um, and that, uh, the, GED, the GED with the PhD, and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the blue collar worker with the white collar. So I find the practice of being with people not like me, not academic, not uh, inclined to all that critical thought, etc. Yeah. But to be with people, sometimes the most barely literate are the most literate in the ways of God. And yes, that's the gift of my Pentecostal tradition. You know, that's the gift yeah. of Azusa Street. And mm-hmm. to submit to that form of community and I think so much of our so-called community today, if we just were to look at it, it's just a slice of people just like us. Mm. Absolutely. I love that. Gosh, my grandfather um, was raised in, my dad's dad was raised in like rural Rockingham County, um, North Carolina, and he actually couldn't tie his shoes or read or write his entire mm-hmm. life. And when he died, 
the entire town came to his funeral because he was so loving and so kind and the whole neighborhood knew him. He would walk the streets of the neighborhood and see if anybody needed any work on their car done. He would drop off food for people. He would, you know, look at people's plants or crops if they started to fail. He would check in on neighbors to make sure nobody had fallen, that they were okay. And so I really do feel like he never went to church, but I remember at the end of his life, you know, I, I very much was like, kind of in the evangelical tr- tradition where you just assume if people don't go to church that they are going to hell. <laughs> and I remember talking to my grandfather at the very end of his life and asking him, you know, Grandpa, do you know Jesus? Do you know God? And do, like, do you do you have any sort of faith? And he was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, was his response <laughs> to me. And he could barely talk. But it just it, it clicked all these things into gear for me where I realized, like, gosh, he never would set foot in a church, but he was so deeply connected to God and connected to community. So I love that that was a, a a practice that you have in your life. And I think it can be really hard to cultivate that level of humility and welcome to people. So what what spi- inspires that in you? And how do you cultivate that humility and welcome despite your beautiful, wonderful background and pedigree, which is powerful and wonderful and needed? So tell us, like, how, are, how do you stay humble? And how do you cultivate a welcome to others? Well, I think staying humble is very difficult these days <laughs> and yeah. for, for all of us, and especially those of us who may have ambition to, 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 you know, for me, it's been in the academy and all of the publisher parish stuff. And uh, so the other side of that is uh, understanding uh, the, the beauty of people like your grandfather there and you know wouldn't it be wonderful to stand near him mm-hmm. when he be- stands before the lord mm-hmm. and hear what the lord <laughs> says well done you know and you've done this and you've done that and sometimes i ask myself so who do i want to stand near mm-hmm. and overhear when they stand before jesus and those are the kind of people that i I need to associate with and they're not they're not the influencers they're not the people who um, and so since we are no longer pastoring the church that has been more difficult because uh, it has been you know I've got to now work harder to find it and when you when you plan a church you can intentionally incorporate people in and uh then you pray that the Lord would send someone, you know, the Lord sent an Appalachian woman and her family hmm. to our congregation. And she was such a blessing. Uh, she thought very episodically and would repeat the same mistakes, but there was something wondrous about her at the same time. Right. right. And so I believe that it's just intentionally um, asking the question, who are my people? And uh, who do I want to be around when we all stand before the Lord and, and looking for them and, and praying the Lord sends them. And he will. He really right. will. Yeah. Right. If yeah. you pray that with sincerity, uh, that person's going to show up. Yeah. I love that. The practice of putting yourself in relationship with people who you don't have any social capital to gain from or something to earn or make you feel good, but truly just just 
to love people and be with people. I love that. The GED with the PhD. I yes. just I get re- I get thinking that over and over. Like that is diversity. And yeah. it like like you said, it requires a level of humility on all parts. Mm-hmm. On all parts. Mm-hmm. And it really it, I think it points to this desire for power, this desire to feel seen and known and accomplished no matter what your Enneagram number. <laughs> um, but really uh, the greater desire is to belong. And yeah. the greater desire, if if we're followers of Jesus, is to be like Christ. Mm, so well said. Ashley, do you want to close us out with that last wonderful question? Yes. Yeah, so you have written your book, your newest book, and we want to hear a little bit more about that. And in relation, like after you tell us a little bit about that book, we'd also like to ask, what do you want younger women to know about your stage of life? And what can we do to better relate to one another? Great. Uh, Yeah, my book, Seven Transforming Gifts of Menopause, it took me a long time to write it, but it sort of started Mm. germinating in perimenopause and kind of a rough journey. And I remember saying to my husband, um, I think when this time is over, you know, all the deconstruction, all the residual hidden anger that you think Mm. you you had kind kind of put away, it starts coming back and I use the, you know, the expression in the book, the rose colored glasses come off. Um, so I said, maybe this is a time of gift, a gift to me. And he said, well, write a book about that. So I did. And uh, <laughs> what, what I try to help is help women go through that period that I believe God has designed us, developmentally designed us to have uh, uh, portals, uh, new ways of being in the world that are opening up to us at midlife. So midlife for women is, I think, a very powerful time. And I believe our body just opens up the portals, but we don't recognize them because Mm. we're not knowing what's going on. Like, why do I have all this anger? Well, that's a gift. Um, Mm. Why do I have this sense of... um, memories that come back so vividly that's a gift and so i identify these things that are happening to women in midlife and say to them you know this is your grand opportunity now to go into the second half of life and too many women age but they never mature and there's all Mm, kinds of mm. pressure pressure to just be the updated version of your 25 year old self Right. You're 55, and that's not good. Nobody, but too many women did not know they had permission to mature. And mm. one of the things I'm happy to see today are more women accepting their role as elders and mature, uh, not just older versions of, of their younger selves. And I have the first chapter talking about what happens to you in puberty. That's important to know in order to know what happens in menopause because they're mirror images. And, you know, you get drugged at puberty. Your body gets all of this <laughs> estrogen, <laughs> progesterone dance going on that's just so lovely. And, you know, the eight-year-old girl is going to run the world and run for president, but the 14-year-old, is she might not be all that concerned about it. And I, I call that time of life the gift of the relational self. Um, you know, Carol Gilligan's work and all that women are relational beings, but I believe we're more relational in that first half of life. We are less of the I and more of the we. Uh, it's mm. the nesting time, and we are more prone to let things go, to gloss things over, 
Uh, but what happens is things are never let go. They just get in the inner psyche of ourself, these deep caverns of, of ourself. There, it's where the, all those things go. And that little eight-year-old girl, is she's down there waiting for her time. And when that lovely progesterone estrogen dance starts going crazy and you have the dips and turns and all of the estrogen dominance versus estrogen, you're losing all of that, uh, things come back. They all of a sudden go, oh, now we can get out of this cave we've been in. (laughs) And Mm. all of a sudden the rose-colored glasses come off and your eight-year-old self comes back and she has issues. And so I I talk about how to accept that time as a time of uncovering and receiving the authentic self again, combining that more too with the relational self. You never lose the relational self. But there's this uh, we giving way to more of the I. And um, Richard Rohr talks about the second half of life for men as being sort of the downward, uh, falling downward. But uh, women, it's upward. It's the sort of uh, learning to assert the I to become um, more of an individual, to become more outspoken, to not let things go, to maybe even develop an mm. attitude, so to speak. And, um, and you've heard Beth Moore say many times, now that I'm 59 or now that I'm, you know, and all of a sudden you look back at what you you tolerated when you were 35 and not only not only tolerated you participated and you were complicit Mm. a lot of women right now are saying look at what i've been complicit in Mm. Um, but uh it's a time also to give that younger woman the the stage where you're in give you know it's a it's a great time it's a, a time of grace so don't worry so much about um all that spunk and individuality, uh, it, it will come, uh, but don't lose your, don't lose the individual identity is what I would say to those who are, you know, younger than 50 is uh, hold on as much as you can to the authentic self while you're, while you are being that wonderful, relational, loving, uh, mothering, uh, wife, whatever self, mm-hmm. give Give yourself into that and relish that, you know, love that. But also know that that time will pass and the empty nest will come around or whatever happens. And there is this other second half of life that can be very frightening. Um, The possibility of maybe aloneness or the possibility of not having that warm and nurturing nest anymore or, or whatever. But that second half of life can be very productive and very fulfilling. It can be uh, very prophetic. You can become a justice mm. warrior. You can become this or that. And it's a, it's a good, good time. But there's that transitional period there that's kind of rough that, yeah. we, that we have to navigate that. Mm. I love what you said about women don't feel permission to mature they only age and there's a difference there i just woo girl and and even i just want to go back to the beginning of the, the those statements understanding that women 
it is a beautiful thing to see yourself as a matriarch, as an elder. And Ashley and I often talk about, we wish we had more of those in our lives. We wish there was more women who didn't feel like they were benched, but saw themselves as a conduit of God's love and care and compassion and empathy and wisdom for the next generation because it's so needed and necessary. Yeah. Not that women aren't doing that, but man, we just, so we so often discount ourselves right um from from all god has in us and 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 through us oh yeah so well said cheryl i agree and i appreciate what you said too about transitions like i feel like that's the gift that you give us is just reminding us that yes transitions are difficult you know there it is not easy to make that transition from you know from 20s to 30s from 30s to 40s you know from Mm -hmm. all the different ages and stages that we make the transitions in parenting in life in our career in our friendships like all the ways that we change in life and it's not easy so I appreciate you giving us hope on the other side of it where it's like yes that transition is a little rough but just the thought that you know it can still be a beautiful prophetic time it can be a time of connection it can be a time of relational it can be a time of like sinking down in your own skin and really owning who you are and that's the gift I found that you know your generation and my mom's generation like gives gives us it's like no I'm gonna be who I am and Mm -hmm. I'm okay if you don't like that you know? <laughs> and I really I'm already a little bit ornery so I hate to see what happens when I get you know into my 60s because I'm like Lord yeah, yeah. oh man I'm probably gonna have to just get off social media because the things that go through my head are probably not appropriate for the world to hear um, <laughs> I, I just love that you are giving us so much hope and how would you like the younger generation to relate to you and to women um, who are at your stage what do you hope that will how do you hope we would respect and honor you how do you hope that we would connect to you well just like what we're doing we're having a delightful conversation mm. and I, mm. I love that and so that uh, we can you know you have so many gifts to offer to us and you know we get weary and tired and I don't want to do this anymore and I think I'm just gonna go live in the woods and but <laughs> but you guys give me energy and it's like no I can't do that uh, hmm. there's you know so much out there my daughters and my grandchildren give me so much hope for the future and dialoguing and uh, reading the world together and what God is doing we we need the memory uh, we need the vision of the future and we need the present we need it all together and so we don't need to ghettoize so much age grading and ghettoizing and uh, we just need uh, the younger needs the older and the older yeah certainly i need the younger Mm -hmm. that's so good uh cheryl thank you so much for joining us it really has been such a pleasure to have you uh, to hear of your wisdom and your expertise and your experience and yeah. your and your view of the world. Can't thank you enough for joining us here yes. on Why Though. Thank it's, you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's been it's been my joy. I've been so delighted in this conversation today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. And listeners, we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Hey, listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit TiffanyBloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit AshAbercrombie.org. See you next week.